Now we've talked a lot on this show about what it looks like to operate a farm as a modern business. But when it comes to finance, Mary Jo Ehrman has a program to take this concept to a whole new level. We are losing farmers on a daily basis because our estate plan sucks and we don't have the generational wealth to be handing it off for it to survive. Mary Jo is the author of the book Farming Without the Bank and the podcast of the same name. She shares how farmers and other people can use certain whole life insurance policies as tools to build a system in which they become their own banker over time. Whole life insurance is the only tool that allows us to earn interest on our money while we use the insurance company's money. Now this concept called infinite banking, it can be difficult to wrap your head around, or at least was for me. But Mary Jo does a great job of explaining some of the nuances and the benefits of this really innovative approach to finance. Short-term thinkers should not be doing infinite banking. It's really long-term. And even somebody 65 still has enough time to have some compounding happening in that policy. I'm talking infinite banking with Mary Jo Ehrman on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow ag nerd. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. Now, before we dive in, I want to thank our quarterly presenting sponsor, which is a company that tells you what you don't want to know. Every three seconds, FarmWave's Harvest Vision system is counting your harvest losses off the header and from the combine and reporting them to you in the cab in real time. Make changes on the fly and watch your loss counts drop without having to stop or do manual harvest loss counts again. Models are currently available in corn and soybeans with several other crops in development for release soon. But don't take my word for it. Listen to an actual FarmWave customer. The system came to me about a week after we had started doing soybeans. I had about 300 acres already through the machine at this point, our combine. And we got into that field and started going and the system started showing you got loss out the back. The The fan was set maybe just a little bit too too fast. It was We went from non-irrigated beans to irrigated beans, so the yield was a little higher. I changed one millimeter on the, the sieve and slowed the fan down 50 RPMs. That immediately changed about four bushel back into the tank and that small little change it changed everything you know i don't know how long i would have run in that field had i not had that and gone i need to make a change join the ranks of farmers deploying harvest vision in their fields to ensure no bushel gets left behind put ai to work on your farm just visit farmwave.io to chat with one of their experts or locate a dealer near you Thank you so much to FarmWave for supporting farm innovation and the Future of Agriculture podcast. All right, now back to today's episode with Mary Jo Ehrman. Mary Jo is the author of Farming Without the Bank and an infinite banking concept practitioner who has set out to change how the farming industry is financed. She's helped farmers for 13 years to see that there are financial solutions for them and the next generations. Mary Jo's mission is to take a 100-year-old financial process and turn it around by making the bank plan B rather than plan A, giving farmers back control and allowing the next generation to take over without having to buy the farm back from a bank every generation. 
It's important for me to note right here that I'm coming to this interview with a personal interest in infinite banking. You'll hear me talk about the fact that I've been looking into this for myself. And uh, as a Dave Ramsey guy, historically, have heard definitely mixed reviews about uh, what we should do with whole life insurance in general. I'm certainly glad, though, that I continued to do my research and that it led me to Mary Jo, because this is a concept I am personally very interested. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I see where it could be a good addition to my personal wealth building strategy. And I also see where people who rely more heavily on banking than maybe I do, uh, such as farmers, would benefit from it even more. So whether you're a farmer or not, I highly suggest you listen in here because this is a complicated topic, but one that's super interesting. And uh, once you start to kind of see how the pieces fit together, makes a lot of sense. Uh, that said, I'm not a financial expert. I'm not an insurance expert. This is not advice. Please talk to a real expert, someone like Mary Jo or someone on your team before making any financial decisions about what may be right for you. This podcast episode is an attempt to better understand the infinite banking concepts and the tools that go into building your own infinite bank. But this is by no means advice. Please, 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 please uh, make your own decision, do your own research, talk to your own experts. All right. With that caveat out of the way, let, let's kind of set the scene here with maybe a 101 surface level understanding of what this concept is. Here are the basics that I sort of understand. All right, we, we all use banks. Well, most of us use banks and we all have a general sense of how they make money, right? They make money from us. We, we deposit, they make loans, they make uh, money on the difference between the two. They also have leverage to the federal government. We don't need to get on all that. But let's just level set on the fact that banks make a lot of money from our own wealth building efforts. And they kind of siphon that money through the normal course of our financial lives. And maybe it would be nice if we could internalize some of that money that they end up siphoning off and become our own bank ourselves. Well, sure, it sounds nice, but it probably also sounds very unfeasible unless you just happen to be sitting on a big pile of money. Well, in the process of accumulating wealth, uh, perhaps maybe you have a 401k or maybe you have retirement accounts of some sort, maybe you have some real estate. Uh, none of those things, though, are really designed to be used as a bank in the form of borrowing cash from it on a regular basis and then paying that money back whenever you can. However, there is another type of asset that is better designed to be used as both a wealth building tool and as a bank. Now, that asset is a certain type of whole life insurance through a dividend paying mutually owned life insurance company. And if you're hearing about this for the first time, I know it sounds a little bit weird. Uh, it's definitely taken me a long time to sort of get my head around the basics. But there are aspects to these policies that give you this flexibility to become your own bank, making loans to yourself, repaying yourself and still accumulating wealth over the long term. Our guest today has spent 13 years not only doing this herself, but also helping others to do the same. She even wrote the book about it, Farming Without the Bank. Now, this may be an episode you want to listen to multiple times to try to absorb, or maybe you're just quicker than me and you'll get it all the first time. Uh, there are other resources, though, that we mentioned. I've linked all of those in the show notes. One I did want to call out from the top because it's referenced multiple time is the book Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash, who originally created this concept, and Mary Jo Ehrman has taken it, applied it to agriculture, and run with it. All right, that's enough preamble. Enjoy this thought-provoking episode with Mary Jo Ehrman. Your 
from a farm background. And when I first heard this infinite banking thing, I looked into it and I quickly found, you know, content that would say like, oh, it's it's whole life insurance. And then I, you know, I've been like a Dave Ramsey guy. I'm like whole life insurance. Oh, no, those are those are bad words. Right. I need to run away. Whole life insurance, I've been told, is a scam. And so you hear infinite banking, which automatically sounds too good to be true. And then whole life insurance, which, you know, there are certain sectors that think like Dave Ramsey stay away from it maybe kind of help us understand what are, what are the the basic two or three principles that we need to keep in our minds as we're thinking about this concept of infinite banking. So infinite banking itself is a concept. The tool that we use to manage the money is the whole life. So they're two completely different things and people tend to jumble whole life insurance as infinite banking and it's not the same thing. So infinite banking is just thinking about Who's making all the money in the world and how are they doing it? You see a bank on every single corner. They don't use their money to make money. They use your money to make money, right? You put a dollar in the bank, they go to the feds and get $10 and they lend it out. They actually don't even have to keep a dollar of your reserves anymore. They don't have to keep any reserves since COVID. And so we need to start thinking like the bank. The bank lends you money and they charge you an interest rate and they make money off the interest rate. What we're doing is we're saving and spending cash if we're Dave Ramsey fans, right? And we're just gonna spend cash. But Dave never says pay yourself back plus interest. If you saved up to buy that piece of equipment, Kudos for you, but now don't now you're done. You don't ever have to save again. Now most good Dave Ramsey followers will continue to save because that's the one good piece about Dave is he makes you understand your budget. I love I have tons of Dave Ramsey clients and I love them because they manage their money great. What they don't do is pay themselves back plus interest because they don't understand they've lost interest. So infinite banking is just telling you, hey, what you were taught about money is completely wrong. That is not what the banks do and that's not what the wealthy do. Then it comes in, okay, we become the banker. We lend money to ourselves, and we pay ourselves back plus interest. But where do we store our money then? We don't necessarily want the banks to have our money. So where do we store our money? That's where the whole life piece comes in. Because the whole life is the only tool, regardless who likes it or not, whole life insurance is the only tool that allows us to earn interest on our money while we use the insurance company's money. So if we can compare that, like they're doing it today, but let's go back to the 80s when people were getting CD rates at 15%. They would buy a CD, then they would go to the banker and the banker would lend them money at 20%, let's say. So they really have like about a 5% spread, right? Well, they were using their CD as collateral to the loan at 20% to get a lower interest rate. They're doing that today. Last year in August, I called um, a local banker and said, hey, I wanna, I'm, I'm wanting to buy some land. What's my rate on that land? And she said, oh, well, if you want to put your money in a CD, we can give you a better rate. And I said, then why wouldn't I just use my policy? Because if I have my money in my policy, 
It's earning the interest rate and the dividend that the insurance company is paying me because it's with a mutual company. Now we're owners of that company and I get a share of the profit. That's the dividend. So I'm earning interest and dividend and the insurance company is taking the interest for me borrowing their money. But their money is what? My money as well, because I'm part owner of the company. So when we talk about like Nelson's book, Nelson Nash is the founder of the concept. Nelson's book is becoming your own banker. Because you want to be the bank, you want to own the bank, and you want to be the one borrowing money from yourself. So it's really the characters in the play. We want to be all those people and we want to make the bank plan B. So the the concept and the policy are different. And then a lot of what Dave, I just want to address this, a lot of what Dave talks about, he's recently started to address whole life, but most of what he talks about is universal life, variable universal life or indexed universal life. And all three of those are crap. I agree with him a hundred percent. I wouldn't buy one. I wouldn't sell one. They are not good policies. And so he's kind of mixing the products, but they're not the same product. Whole life is not universal life. Okay. No, I appreciate that distinction. And I see what you're saying with the concept, you know, maybe you could become your own bank. And I think most of us have a sense of how banks make money, like you said, on the spread between what the depositors put in and what they lend out and what they can get from the federal government to leverage it. And we say, okay, that's kind of cool. If we could be our own bank, I'm on board with that. Uh, What do we need to start to put in place practically speaking, to become your own bank? And is there sort of like a, you have to be at least at this level before you kind of are really right for this? No. I have clients that do policies that are $2,000 a year in premium. And I have clients that do half a million, million dollar policies a year. It really depends where you're at financially. It depends where your operation is. I have a lot of clients that aren't even farming yet. They just want to farm. And so we have off the farm income. How can that start to build our banking system and the policy so that when we do start to buy cattle or buy land, we can borrow from that cash value in order to do those things. And so I wish it was a very cut and dry scenario, But when I sit down with people, you know, anybody that reads my book, they get a free meeting with me. And so when I sit down with people, it really depends. I have people that are in huge transition. Like now they're sitting down with me, but gosh, a month ago, they just bought the farm from mom and dad. And what are we going to do? Or we just quit our, we're quitting our off the farm job and we're making the transition to the farm. That all varies then in how much we can start with and what that looks like. And so we have to be smart about it. We have to be conservative, but yet we don't want to be so conservative that we don't get anywhere if we have the ability to put more in. Now, there are sometimes I'm telling people, we just can't do anything right now. This is what I need you to do. And then let's come back in six months or a year from now and see what's happening. Um, If there's massive credit card debt, like we have $20,000 of credit card debt at 25% interest, okay, where is all this money going? What's happening? Like I may say, you know what? Now is not the time to get started. But if we have a little bit of money that we can slowly move over, I don't care if it's 2,000, 10,000, 15,000, 
the bank doesn't say, sorry, you only have $20 to put into savings every month. I'm sorry, we can't do that for you, right? We don't treat our savings like that. So why would we say, oh, it doesn't pay to start a policy because it's not enough. It's because we want all or nothing. And that's silly. Like we have to, we have to get there. Nelson had 49 policies. He didn't have 49 policies overnight. He had them over his lifetime. You know, I have eight policies. I didn't have eight policies overnight. I've gotten them over the last 13 years. And I just keep adding policies as I have income to do so. But I have to make sure I can pay my loans back, that I can pay all my premium. Then I can start another policy. So we start small and then we just keep adding. Yeah. And if if it's okay and, and uh, totally understandable for you to not share everything, right? Because it's personal details, but you know, your eight policies, can you talk about how you use those policies to be your own bank as, a, as an example so we can kind of make this real in our heads? So I have used my policies to pay for business expenses. If I have a conference that I've put on, I will use that money to pay for the conference. And then as I have income coming in to the business, I will pay that back. And I'll pay it back however I want because the insurance company doesn't care. And so last year we bought land. I borrowed all that money from the policy. There's a house on that property that we turned into an Airbnb. And so I used money in the policy to furnish the Airbnb. And I didn't make a payment on that loan for a year. Did not, I just made a payment yesterday <laughs> for the first time. So it's been, it's been a year and a month. Nobody cared. I just knew that I'm not going to make a payment till I have renters until I have income coming from renters to be able to make that payment. Um, we've used it to buy tractors. We've used it to buy lawnmowers. I mean, it, put braces on the kids, whatever. Like you can use it for whatever you want. Some people have a limit of what they use it for. Some people think, oh, I'm gonna use it to buy a vehicle. Prior to the interest rate hikes, I would tell you to go to the bank and buy that vehicle. Because, here's an example, I had a vehicle loan through the bank, but I had money in my cash value. And so I went to the bank to borrow money for my vehicle, because I knew that I could get a vehicle loan in five seconds, right? I mean, pretty much anybody can go get a vehicle loan. But if you want to buy land, you better give your third born with all their blood. Like, it is just not that easy to get a land note. So I did not want to wrap my money up into a depreciating chunk of metal. So instead, I let the bank give me money for that. I left the money in the policy. So when land came available, I had what I needed for the down payment of our land. Then I could go to the bank and get the rest, which actually turned out to be very hellacious as well. Like it was an awful experience. <laughs> and I'm like, never again. <laughs> it was just, it just was not fun to do it because they treated me just like they treat a farmer. Because it doesn't matter. They're, you're both business owners. They're like, oh, well, where did all this money come from? How come you had more money in January than you had in June? Well, because I get paid randomly, right? I don't know. And they just couldn't check the boxes off. And it was so confusing to them. And so it really depends what you're buying and what the future 
is holding that what do you want to go to the bank for and what do you want to borrow the policy money for? Right. All right. A few questions in this. First of all, that everyone's had that experience where, where you just hate you hate working with certain uh, with certain lenders. Not all lenders are bad, obviously, but uh, you're like, OK, I'd love to be my own bank. That sounds great. Now, it sounds like there are some situations where you might have the cash to pay for a conference or or even a down payment on land. But you're like, I'm going to use my policies for this instead. Why would you make that decision to essentially lend from yourself rather than paying cash? Is there an advantage to doing so? Um, it depends. So <laughs> so I also so I borrowed some money for down payment on our property and I used some cash. Okay, because we had bought enough land that I needed both. So the cash that I used, it was sitting there in cash because I needed all of it. When I, I paid for the down payment on the land, but guess what? That cash is still lent money to me. So I'm treating it as a loan. So now I'm paying it back to myself plus interest. So even if I use cash, you know, Nelson always said that you either pay somebody else interest or you lose the ability to earn interest. So by using the cash, it didn't go in the policy. So I now don't have compound interest and dividends the rest of my life. Uninterrupted compound interest, not like stock market interest. And so if I don't ever pay myself back, guess what? I have the land, the equities in the land. The only way for me to get that money is to what? Borrow against the ground. And so I am treating it as if, okay, I lent it to myself. Now I need to pay it back. And so I'm paying it back, but I'm not putting it back into savings. I'm putting it into a policy as a premium payment. I mean, that policy is small. It's not a big policy. So I might take me 20 years to get it there. I don't care. The point of it is about being honest and treating your money as if you were the bank. Because otherwise we're like, oh, we've got money and land. Great. Well, that's great until you need the equity out of it. And when you need, when you need the equity out of the land, that might not be the time they're going to give you a loan. And you may have to actually sell it to get the money out of it. And we don't necessarily want that either. Right. Yeah. Okay. This is helpful because I mean, it really brings through the thought process here of like, you may think you're looking at your, your business or your farm as a business, but I don't know how many people are looking at it as a business to this extent where they look at cash as a loan from yourself to yourself and it needs to be paid back with interest. That's, that's a huge sort of mindset shift. I think for a lot of people, what, what are the consequences for not paying that money back? And then something happened or, you know, kind of falling into major debt to yourself, which sounds super weird. I know, but like, for me, I do podcasts for myself and for other people. And my own podcast always gets put on the back burner for, you know, clients come first. Right. And I could see the same thing, like paying everything comes first before I pay myself back. And then sort of that becoming a, a process that's hard to get yourself out of that hole. What are the consequences for, for not uh, paying that back? If it was cash or if it was a policy loan, if it was a policy. Okay. So the insurance company is going to charge you interest to borrow their money. That interest compounds from policy year to policy year. So if you don't pay the interest only, 
that policy could definitely lapse and become non-existent. Okay. So you have to understand that the interest only at least needs to be paid. Now, if you don't pay it back, you just don't have it. When you go to retire, you're not going to have the money there. And when you pass away, any of the loan is going to come off of the death benefit because cash value is a portion of the death benefit they allow you to use while you're alive. And so when you die, it comes out, the loan is going to come out a death benefit. Well, if you're looking to leave a large inheritance, or we do a lot of policies where, you know, the kids are insuring mom or dad. Well, if that policy was meant to use to buy out siblings, we don't want a big loan on that policy upon dad's death. We want all that death benefit. So the biggest thing, the biggest reason this is not going to work is because you're not an honest banker and you don't pay it back because it could lapse the policy. It's not free money. A lot of people think it's just, oh, well, it's no big deal. They're not sending me anything because the insurance company transfers money to your account and you never hear from them again, literally. And so I went in one day to get money and I was like, oh, I have a loan. <laughs> Forgot I took a loan for that, right? Because I'm not the best bookkeeper in the world. And so if I forgot I had a loan, they not, they're not reminding me because I'm going to die. I'm not getting out of here alive. So now all of a sudden you don't pay your loans back. Well, if you're not paying the interest, that could totally collapse that policy. So if you're not a good banker, then you shouldn't have a policy. Like I have a couple clients that I've lost over the years. I'm like, they were shitty bankers. They should have never had a policy. And so when people come to me, I don't sell every single person I see a policy. So I'm like, if you're not going to learn, if you're not going to pay attention and you're not going to treat it and be honest about it, you shouldn't be the banker. And I, I've heard you use this term honest banker before. Is that what you mean? Basically, you're, you're going to hold yourself accountable to paying yourself back. Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Speaking of kind of terms and concepts here, can you explain the concept of uninterrupted compound interest? Yes. So when you have, everybody says compound interest is the what? Eighth wonder of the world or ninth wonder of the world or something. And so we're like, oh, put money into a 401k. So you have compound interest. So I explain compound interest a little bit like my diet. And so I, you know, I'm going to do good all week and I'm going to lose a pound. And then on the weekends, I'm going to go have pizza or something and gain it all back. So I interrupted my progress right? And so with compound interest, what happens when they talk about compound interest, they're just talking, hey, you earn a dollar, then you earn interest on that dollar, and then you earn interest on that dollar and so on. What happens in a savings account or in the stock market is we earn money, but then it crashes or we take it out and then we have to start over from here to get back to here. And so now we have this lapse of growth because it dropped. Inside the policy, you're borrowing against your money. You're not borrowing your money. So it's like that CD. We put it in and it continues to grow until the day we die. Nothing ever stops it because we're utilizing somebody else's money. So a lot of people will say, well, I'm not going to earn as much as I pay. Short term, 
you're exactly right. You're not making this astronomical amount. You're not making anything short term. Once you're past year seven to 10, this thing will outperform a 401k, an IRA, a CD, a savings account, because the compounding gets to be massive. So short-term thinkers should not be doing infinite banking. It's really long-term. And even somebody 65 still has enough time to have some compounding happening in that policy because it performs a little differently at 65 than 25. But when we talk about compound interest, I don't really care. I just don't want mine interrupted because I want it earning money as long as it possibly can with it never being interrupted. That makes a lot of sense. And actually, I think it answers what was going to be my next question, which is if you have to pay the insurance company interest on this loan, how's that any different from the bank? But I, I would guess the difference is it's offset by that uninterrupted compounding that's going on in the background. Is that right? Yes, 100% correct. And it's the only reason we use the policy because there's not another tool, unless somebody shares that with me, <laughs> there's not another tool that allows us to have uninterrupted compound interest. Yeah, while still getting access to that money today. Right. And a CD. So I don't know. Did you read Nelson's book at all? I haven't read it yet, but, I, but I'm going to. It's, it's on my list. I, I understand it's very short. Yeah, it is. His chapters are about a page long. <laughs> um, but he has an example in his book about the twin sisters. And one of them bought a CD and one of them bought Whole Life, both earning the exact same interest rate. Both of them took money, used money against their CD and against their policy. And the CD sister outperformed the Whole Life insurance sister for, I think it was 13 years. Then the whole life took off and the whole life sister had all this money. And the only difference was that the whole life sister had dividends from her company. So when we have a CD or we have a savings account, who gets the profit when the bank makes money? The owners of the bank. And so that's why Nelson is so adamant about using dividend paying whole life, using a mutual company because they're going to share the profits of the company. Those dividends long-term get to be astronomical along with the uninterrupted compound interest. And so there's nothing else out there. People don't like whole life because they don't understand it, but there's nothing else out there that allows that possibility. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I would I would imagine intuitively agriculture is a good use case for this just because of how much money they're paying the bank. And so that's one question. Is that true uh, or is there something else about the agriculture that makes it uniquely suited for this? And then I'll add on a second part question, which is do the rise in interest rates, you know, impact uh, how beneficial this is? Mm, OK, good question. So the taking control of the banking function is important in the farming industry because if we do have a bad year, you don't have to pay that loan, right? You can just make interest only payment and you can float your loan two, three years and nobody's taking the farm. So the land is no longer the collateral. The other part that a lot of people miss is the generational wealth piece that I talk about. And so now we have death benefit to leave to the next generation as part of an estate plan. So as much as everybody thinks, oh, it's just cash value, it is death benefit as well. And what I've seen 
just in the last 13 years is that estate planners are no longer having people buy life insurance. Even the banks are not requiring life insurance on a loan. I have people that have two, $3 million loans and they have zero life insurance. I mean, I don't understand why the bank isn't saying, hey, you need to go buy some life insurance because we don't really want your land. You know, we would prefer the money and it's not happening. But now we have people passing away that there's zero life insurance. So the kid has to buy the farm. Well, should the kid be buying the farm? Or if he's worked on the farm his whole life, can we use the death benefit for the off the farm kids and give the kid on the farm the farm? Or can the death benefit be split between all of them? The kid on the farm should have some sort of death benefit to take over operating costs, to buy out siblings, to buy equipment from dad, something. The death benefit is huge. And we use that a lot in a buyout, a lot. Like if I'm going to buy dad out and I have an equipment loan from him, because a lot of times that's what happens. We just buy equipment from dad. Then if dad dies, I still owe money to mom or I now owe that money to the estate. So I should have a life insurance policy on dad so that when he passes, I have this death benefit. I can then pay mom off. I can pay sisters off or I can use it for operating if they still allow me to make the payments. The death benefit becomes key. So with the whole life, we've got access to the cash. We have money for retirement and we have an estate plan. So it really is, there's three pieces that are super important to it there. And the money for the retirement piece, is that, uh, I, I don't know enough about whole life. So so the, the retirement benefit, is that different than the current kind of cash benefit? Um, once I retire, is it somehow treated differently? No. So when you retire, you can take out what you put in as long as a policy does not become a modified endowment contract. You can take out what you put in and that is income tax free. Then the growth of the policy, we borrow against that for retirement. So it's borrowed money and it is also income tax free. And at that time, we probably don't pay the loan back. We may not even pay interest on it, you know? So then the kids are just going to get whatever the loan is minus the death benefit. But farmers don't plan to retire. However, if we put money in the policy and we use it to buy tractors and we pay it back and we use it to buy land and we pay it back and we use it for operating and we pay it back, it'll be there at retirement because we paid it back. Does the interest rate we owe the, the insurance company, does that fluctuate with, with interest rates? So the interest rate is not based off of the Fed rate. It is based off of a Moody's bond average. The bonds right now are 5%-ish. So we saw interest rates go from 4, 4.76 to right now they're 5.02. And so they are fluctuating a little bit, but they can only change the interest rate at the renewal date of your contract. And then it is locked for the year. So they cannot fluctuate month to month like a bank. So I've had a lot of clients that have never used their policy till this year. Because they're like, well, why would I use it at 4.76 when the bank has given me a line of credit at four? And I'm like, then don't. 
Leave the money in the policy, use the bank. If you ever want to pay the bank off, you have the money in the policy to do that, right? Because we have options then. So now they're like, geez, interest rates on my operating are 9% or 10%. So I'm going to go to the policy and use the policy now instead of going to the bank. But they were building their bank for the last five, six, seven years and not using it because they didn't need it. Yeah, they, get, they put themselves in a position for interest rate arbitrage, which you, you need to have that bank in place in order to do that. Oh, this is so fascinating. Okay, you you mentioned paid up additions earlier. Can you define what paid up additions are and why that's important? Yes. So there is a rider. Not every company has it. It is called the paid up additions rider. That rider buys paid up additional insurance. It's instantaneous buy of insurance. When we put that rider on the policy, that rider accumulates cash value very quickly. And so we put the majority of the premium to the paid up additions rider. So if we have a premium 70, and you can see it in my book, 75% of the money, in most cases, not all, let's just say 50 to 75% of your premium is going to go to that rider. In 10 to 30 days, depending on the company, you're going to turn around and borrow against that and start using it if you want to. So this belief that I had somebody comment on TikTok yesterday, well, my life insurance agent said that that's a bad idea because it's going to take a long time to build cash value. Okay, nope. <laughs> my clients have access to 75% of it in 10 days. So it's a long time if we buy old-fashioned whole life, which there's nothing wrong with. My gosh, listeners, if you have old-fashioned whole life with a mutual company, do not cancel that policy. <laughs> it's just going to take you 20 years to get where you could have been in 7 to 10 with a correctly structured infinite banking policy. So it's just faster because the paid-up additions rider keeps that cash value growing quicker. Yeah. I mean, this is probably a question you've been asked a lot and probably a question you've asked yourself a lot because you've been at this for, what, 13 years or whatever now. Why aren't more people doing this? Is it just the complexity that is the biggest barrier? You know, why why aren't more people putting themselves in a position to sort of be their own bank? So I think some of it goes back to, I don't have the exact answer, but these are my thoughts on that because I do get asked that a lot. Um, is in 74 and 80, 401ks and IRAs were born. And so I have a family member that in the 80s, he was told to cancel his whole life and invest it and buy term, right? Because the market took off in the 80s with huge rates of return that we'll never see again. Because prior to 74 and 80, the average Joe was not invested in the market. And so you know, they, the government essentially came in, made this 401k and said, Mr. Employer, you no longer are going to provide an annuity as a retirement tool. That retirement tool is now going to be a 401k. An annuity is a life insurance product. So the shift went from the life insurance company to the employee. And so everybody got in the market. Well, what happened to whole life? it tanked. That's when they also started creating universal life and variable life because they're all tied to the market. 
And so they were trying to compete with rates of return. So as 401ks took off, life insurance companies started to really suck it up and say, well, we can't sell whole life, so let's just sell a different product. So now we have all these UL products and they're all falling apart and they suck. And then you hear people say, well, whole life is bad. My grandma died without it. Well, yes, because she was sold the wrong product. And the industry has done a terrible job. The schools do a terrible job because already in sixth grade, our kids are trading stock and learning how to invest in the market. Nobody is talking about this. And then when we do, we're told it's too good to be true. And good God, I would never even go that route because Uncle Jim and Aunt Susie and mom and dad said whole life is bad because Dave Ramsey said whole life is bad. We lack some research on saying, oh, hey, is it good or not? Right? Because you being a Dave Ramsey person, you could have said, nope, Dave Ramsey said it's bad, I'm done. But you chose to do the research, right? And so I think that there's just a combination of things there. More people are starting to hear about it. And you can see it within the life insurance companies that there's a mass influx of sales because there's just a lot of people like myself out there teaching it. But outside of that, I don't know why. Like, that's the only logical reason I can come up with. It makes a lot of sense what you said, especially about kind of the 80s. And then, you know, along similar lines where I'm at personally is I'm looking at the previous decade or so of just unprecedented, you know, rise in stocks in low interest rates. Now we're in a different environment now, right? Higher interest rates. And this is just me. I don't know the future, but my opinion is we probably can't expect the same returns in the stock market in the next 10 years that we saw in the, in the previous 10 years. And there's people much smarter than me out there saying the same thing. You definitely obviously want diversity in that situation. And for a lot of people listening, they have some real estate investments, they have some stock market investments, and this might be, you know, independent of the, the banking aspect of it, a good place to have some diversity in their in their portfolio as well. Mary Jo, I'm sure we could talk for like two more hours on this because I have no shortage of questions, but I do want to be mindful of your time. Um, anything else that we should just be sure we mention on a um, podcast interview about this? I think the biggest thing is just do your research. Read the book. Read my book. Read Nelson's book. I mean, they're both on audio. I have the podcast, Farming Without the Bank. Without the Bank, I have two of them. There is so much content out there that do your research and then it's hard to listen to somebody that's not read the book or done the research and have them say, nope, that's not good. You are clearly the expert by then. And so you don't go to somebody in the garden section of Lowe's to ask them how to plant 5,000 acres of crop, right? So just do the due diligence and then figure out if it's going to work for you yourself. But sitting back and saying this is too good to be true, it's not going to change how we finance the farm. It's not going to change how we hand the farms off. We are not, in my opinion, based on what I see, we are not losing family farms because millennials are lazy. We are losing family farms because millennials are not Gen Xers and, the, and many Gen Xers even are like, you know what? You either decide what you're going to do for an estate plan or I'm gone. They want a plan. And if you don't do the estate plan, they're not going to work their butt off to save your operation. And so we are losing farmers on a daily basis because our estate plan sucks. And we don't have the generational wealth to be handing it off for it to survive. 
I mean, on my website, I have a generational wealth illustration. By the fourth generation, we could be passing on $44 million income tax-free? Like, do you think that would help save some farms? Instead of just thinking the big guy is the one that's getting it all. The big guy probably got there because a bunch of people didn't estate plan around them. The family's fighting. Nobody can afford to buy it. So they just put it for sale. All right. Well, that's a good place to end here for today's episode. Thank you so much to Mary Jo Ehrman for being on the show. Highly recommend if you're interested in anything that she talked about here today, you check out her podcast, Farming Without the Bank, get her book. And I think she mentioned in there that everyone who gets her book also gets a chance to chat with her about if this might be right for you. Certainly an interesting option that I could see Uh, A lot of scenarios where it could be helpful as a part of your portfolio. But as I said at the top of the show, make sure you talk to an expert like Mary Jo before making any decisions. And obviously, you want to make sure that if you do go for some sort of whole life insurance policy, it's the right one. Because as she mentioned, there are a lot of different ones out there. Anyway, thank you again to Mary Jo. Thanks so much to our quarterly presenting sponsor this quarter, which is FarmWave. Go learn more about them. Lots of links in the show notes for today's episode. So look at those show notes no matter where you're listening to this and thank you for your time and your attention i don't take it lightly i'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation 